This podcast is proudly sponsored by Fastline Marketing Group. Fastline has been serving farmers and the ag industry for over 40 years and is in the name you can trust. Check out fastline.com for your latest equipment needs and fastlinemarketinggroup.com for their full suite of print and digital marketing capabilities. Fastline Marketing Group, the farmer resource and the marketing partner of choice for the agricultural community. Fastline.com. Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today is a former FFA state officer and Florida ag teacher. He's now in his third year of hosting a fantastic podcast called Farm Traveler that focuses on showing consumers uh, how consumers can con- connect with farmers through agritourism and direct-to-consumer products. From Panama City, Florida, I'd like to welcome Trevor Williams. Welcome and thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Chrissy. Excited to be here. Yeah. So first of all, tell me a bit about your background. Yeah. So I grew up Blundstone, Florida. I'm a Florida native. Um, wow, I'm here in the Panhandle, not many of Florida. Us. No, yeah, there's <laughs> not. Yeah. So I'm here in the Panhandle. And so we call it LA, AKA Lower Alabama. Um, yeah. <laughs> what part What part of Florida were you from? Uh, Cape Coral, just outside of Fort Myers. Nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The South Florida tribe. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So grew up in Blundstown, um, taught high school ag in Daytona for a couple of years, changed jobs, did software development. Um, but I grew up right behind my grandpa's catfish farm. And so that was like my first foray into agriculture and then got super active in FFA in high school, state officer, stuff like that. So yeah, never on a production farm. Um, but kind of, I guess you could say like, I've tried to be like an ag educator for like friends and family and eventually like doing it online with the website and, and, uh, the podcast. So, so yeah, it's been fun. Wow, that's awesome. And that's like me too. I would I had a hobby farm but not a production farm, but that's what mm. gave me the the inspiration, I guess, to to really grab onto the industry and go to school for agriculture. So so that's that's great. So tell me about the Farm Traveler podcast and really what led you to start it. Yeah, so I taught for 2 years and then changed careers, but I really missed like, you know, being an active role in ag and keeping my like finger on the pulse about what was happening. And at the time, my wife and I, our favorite show on Travel Channel was Booze Traveler. And the host, Jack Maxwell, would like travel around the country and around the world, like touring different um, local spirits and drinks and stuff like that. And my wife was like, hey, you you should start a blog called Farm Traveler. And I was like, you know what? That'd be kind of cool. And Mm -hmm. so started the website, I think in like 2017, just like, you know, with like hit or miss articles detailing like agriculture stuff. And then when podcasts started booming, like 2019, I think, um, started getting into that. It was a lot easier, I thought, than it would be um, to, you know, produce your own podcast. I reached out to some people that I knew, um, farmers, ag teachers, like, hey, you want to come on the show? I'm starting this new podcast. And then fast forward like three and a half years, we just released episode 179 last week. Mm-hmm. I've interviewed farmers like all across the US, Australia, Canada, Saudi Arabia, um, the UK, it's been super cool. Just, just, just kind of see, you know, what's going on in agriculture around the country and around the world. And also really like what farmers are doing differently. I mean, a rancher in Texas is going to operate totally different than a rancher in Australia. And that's something I didn't really realize and didn't really think about all the implications of all that. And so it's been fun to kind of see what everybody does, what everybody does differently, what works, what doesn't. And also kind of like, the change that everybody's had to do because of COVID, like pivoting their operations to stay in business and stuff like that. So it's been fun. 
Uh, we also do some farm tours on YouTube. We've toured a dairy farm, chocolate farm, microgreens operation in Tallahassee. All has been super fun. I, I like to call it kind of like the the micro, but for agriculture, like touring and actually seeing what's going on. So it's been fun. A lot of content, a lot of really cool stuff, touring farms and hopefully educating consumers and also like showing farmers what other farmers are doing in the industry. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. Well, so thank you. Who, who is your target audience? What's the description of that listener? So the listener, this, I mean, this is great. I love geeking out with other podcasters because, you know, like <laughs> our, our listener avatar is something that we're totally like focus on. Yeah. When I started the show, I was trying to gear it just towards consumers. Like, Hey, let me showcase, like, let, let's talk to farmers and see how our food is made. But I would say right now, the breakdown is like 40% consumers, 60% farmers and ranchers. And I mean, that's like yeah. a very, um, like a rough estimate. But I mean, the consumers obviously want to connect with farmers and see where their food comes from, how they can buy directly from a farmer. But also farmers are like wanting to learn what works at other operations, what doesn't work, what are some things that they should try. Um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from farmers that listen. They're like, hey, I've wanted to do direct to consumer. And so I'm listening to your guests that do that to kind of pick their brains virtually and see what works for them. Um, and so that's been really, really fun. It's really cool. Like some of our comments on YouTube on some of our better performing better performing videos are like, oh, hey, I'm a rancher in Texas and it's cool to hear about a rancher in Alabama and how they do their feed or why they do grass fed when I do grain fed and stuff like that. So it was a very unintended outcome, but I'm glad it kind of happened a mix of both farmers and consumers. Yeah, for sure. And so after almost 200 episodes under your belt, what do you love the most about this media type? Oh, man. I love um I love that it le- it lets us build relationships with people like around the world like us we're setting up a meeting virtually and I've done that with so many people like the podcasting space is great because you can build those relationships you can help get word out there of other you know farms and ranches hopefully get them some media attention um and so that's been super fun like I've been very lucky to like build some really good relationships over this um and actually I just got it in the mail uh like 2 days ago one of our earlier episodes, maybe like episode 100 or something, was with a chocolate farm in Hawaii. And I talk about them all the time. They're That's called Lava Aloha. And my wife and I were actually in Hawaii about a year and a half ago. And we actually toured there. And their farm manager, Deus, sent me some of their chocolate um, from Lava Aloha. It's like the second shipment I've gotten. But um, he sent it to me. Yeah, and it, it's so good. He he emailed me or he messaged me on Instagram. He was like, hey, I want to try a new shipping method do you mind if I send you some free chocolate? I was like, dude, absolutely. And so he's trying to figure out a better method of shipping their chocolate from Hawaii to the States. And he was like, especially hey, I'll send to you Florida. Some free <laughs> oh, yeah, especially from Florida. Yeah, I mean, when it's hot all the time. Yeah, that's everything arrives mushy. <laughs> it does. And I told him about that. And like, luckily, it was cold this week, which, you know, is very rare in Florida. Yeah. And so it was like, I don't know, 48, 45 degrees when it got here. So it was still intact. It wasn't melted or anything. Perfect. And so I think just that, like, you know, like helping farmers figure out their um, shipping processes, like just being a part of that, helping them. It's been really cool. I, and I, I really appreciate like kind of building those relationships, which has been fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree that it is really neat. You really do you know, when, when I started my podcast, it was the very beginning of COVID and Mm. I really, I was grounded at home. I was used to traveling 40, 50% of the time. And all of a sudden I had nobody to talk to. So, (laughs) you know, this is a great way to get people to talk to me. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, and I bet everybody was using zoom then. So you're like, Oh, this is perfect. Everybody knows how to use it. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was interesting before that. I don't think I would have believed you could create real mm. relationships online. Uh, now I do believe that because I've made tons of friends that I call friends I've never actually met even before. So, so yeah, it is, <laughs> it is amazing how we adapt, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Adapt and overcome. I mean, like social media, you know, people do like the Instagram lives or YouTube channels. And I mean, there's just so much stuff you can do online to build those relationships, especially in this industry, which I think is really cool. Like whether it's podcasting or ag, like we can all share something. And so, you know, I've seen a lot of um, content creators on Instagram, like, like farmers and ranchers that have been sharing other farmers content, or they do like live videos where they're both on. Like, I think that's so cool. And yet they're like, Oh, yeah, I've never met this person. But we talk every day on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. So it's really fun. You can see those relationships kind of blossom. Yeah, that's amazing. And and you said about a lot of people are, <clears throat> especially in agriculture, they're they're either just starting podcasts or mm -hmm. they're thinking about it. And it's great because, you know, when a producer is in a tractor, it's the best media type, right? So what do you think has been the biggest challenge to growing your show? And what advice do you have to those people starting out? Yeah, podcasting is crazy because it's one of those mediums where, you know, nobody's like just sitting there doing nothing, listening to a podcast. Usually yeah. they're driving, working out, working around the house or farming. They're on the tractor or something. So you don't really have their undivided attention. And so you have got to do a really good job of making it very, very easy for them to find your content, for them to go to links in your descriptions, for them to find those farmers that you're mentioning. Like you've got to plug their social handles multiple times. You've got to make it really easy for them to, um, for them to access all that content. And I mean, it's really difficult marketing a show because, you know, they say the best way to market a show is to go on other podcasts and get those different listeners um, or do ads and stuff like that. And one thing I've been telling a lot of people that, you know, are interested in starting a podcast now, um, it used to be the other way around, but now there are more podcasts than there are YouTube channels because everybody's doing their own podcast because it's a very low barrier for entry. Like all you need is a phone basically. And so to make, any podcast standout, whether it's ag based or not, I always tell people like, have it as unique as possible. Like not everybody can do the Joe Rogan thing where you talk to everybody and you talk about everything, like try to be as focused down as you can. Like one example I told on, um, I told somebody was like, if you want to do a real estate podcast, don't just do it on real estate. Or for example, I'm here in Panama city. I wouldn't do a real estate podcast in Panama City that's still a little bit too broad. Maybe um, real estate for house flippers part-time in Panama City. Like make it as specific as you can because then you can find your specific audience because not a lot of people want to listen to generic, just random stuff. Like the more focused you can have your show, the better it's going to be. And so, I mean, that that's what I kind of tell everybody. And also like with that, you don't need to be afraid to not venture outside of that circle. Like it's okay to have a little bit of varying content on there, but don't just be like totally random. Like I'm not going to cover, um, I don't know, like a video game company on here that makes nothing that's farm related. But right. for example, I had on a couple of years ago, the publisher for farming simulator, like that was a perfect little thing that, yeah. you know, it's farming, but kind of not a little bit. So, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff online when it comes to podcasts, but make it as unique as you are. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And, and like you said before, that, pivot is also important when you feel it, right? Like how you went from, you know, just consumer and then you, you know what, I actually 
you know, just really pay attention to the audience and who's listening and, and kind of follow that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And you spoke with um, White Oaks Pastures, Jenny Harris, mm-hmm. uh, about decentralization of food in an episode a few months ago. I, I thought that was a really great episode. And I know regenerative ag, carbon sequestration, sustainable farming, they're all common buzzwords today. But I also know that the people who care the most about the land are generally farmers. So setting aside buzzwords, what are you seeing in terms of producers balancing a healthy ecosystem with profit? Oh, man. Um, well, I'm glad you listened to that episode. That was really cool. I I kind of, I don't want to brag, but I kind of beat Joe Rogan to that because I think like two or three months after I had her on, Will Harris was on his show. And so that was wow. really cool. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like regenerative, sustainable are the new buzzwords for this, maybe in the next five or 10 years. And previously it was organic, you know? And so there's a really big thing where people want sustainable or regenerative raised produce, but also farmers want to turn a profit. They want to do something well for the environment. And I mean, obviously I think 99.99% of farmers and ranchers out there care for the environment as much as they care for their product, as much as they care for the, for the consumer. Um, but sometimes, depending on the farm, depending on the ranch, um, it might not be profitable to go the regenerative route. Like I was thinking about it today. Um, regenerative examples are things like cover crops, crop rotation, rotational grazing, stuff like that. Well, if you've got a bad growing season or a bad weather season, maybe you can't do crop rotation. Maybe you can't do cover crops. It just kind of depends. But it's all about kind of I think looking at it from a consumer's perspective, not somebody that's on a farm, just figuring out what works on your farm and what's not going to work and not being afraid to try something new. Like I've heard from a lot of farmers that have slowly gone the regenerative route. They might have, I don't know, a thousand acres of commercial crops. Well, they try crop rotation on a hundred acres only and they see how that is, how profitable that is. So it's a slow step. And if this doesn't work out, then they'll try something else on the 100 acres or I don't know, try something on a different 100 acres. So it's all about just kind of testing it, seeing what works and also talking with farmers around them, around the country, around the world, seeing what works, what doesn't. Because, I mean, you can definitely go the regenerative slash sustainable route and be profitable. I think you just have to be a little bit more, you just have to pay attention to it a little bit more and you have to be more um, you know, sensitive about what's going on. So a little bit more work, actually, probably a lot more work, but just as much, if not more profit, I think, for um, those farmers and ranchers, because I think consumers definitely want that stuff. I think they're willing to pay the premium for regenerative raised beef or regenerative or sustainably raised produce and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and a cool thing that I've noticed about your show is that you interview a really wide range of people, farms, companies with diverse viewpoints. And a lot of other uh, podcasts that I listen to, they they kind of get in a rut of this talking to the same type of person mm-hmm. with the same viewpoint. And um, so I think that's really interesting. So why is it important for you to have so many angles and viewpoints on your show? Well, thank you. I mean, you know, I always like um, to learn from different people. I mean, whether it's, you know, an operation that's regenerative, Um, ranching, or they sell their cattle to um, a feed yard. I mean, it's not that it, you know, it's good versus evil. It's the right way. It's the wrong way. Everybody has their reasons about 
why they're going to produce crops this way or why they're going to raise livestock this way. And also, I mean, from the consumer's perspective, I forget who I was talking about or who I was talking to that mentioned this, but, um, you know, not every consumer has the has the money to buy organic produce or to buy regeneratively raised stuff. It's not their fault. I mean, it, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, that's just kind of the way that it is. Um, so we don't need to, you know, vilify one production method versus the other. I think they can all learn from each other. I think there are markets for everybody. I don't think everybody is going to go the regenerative route, just like not everybody went the organic route. And I mean, when I started the show, I was of the mindset like, you know, why would farmers do organic? There's no nutritional advantage from organic versus versus traditional. And then, um, you know, the more organic farmers I interviewed, I was like, you know what? Like, I need to trust them. They're the experts. They know their crops. They know their land. They know the consumer better than I do. So I just need to trust them and do my own research and listen to the experts. And so, yeah, there's a lot of differing opinions. There's a lot of different production techniques. I mean, what works on a farm in Florida perfectly might not work at all at a farm in Michigan and vice versa. And so there's so many different production techniques. There's so many different crops, varieties and stuff like that. It's, I feel like there's a plethora of information out there that we can all learn from. So yeah, Yeah. I feel like that was a long tangent, but yeah. No, that's right. (laughs) And there was an episode, I can't remember who it was or when it was, but um, the farmer was saying about how one thing he noticed was that he, there were more noises. There were more animal sounds. There was Mm. more buzzing. There was more, there were more birds. There was more life than the next farm down when he walked through, you know, through the rows. And I never thought of that before that, you know, I'm very, um, mama bear over agriculture. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't like hearing, you know, factory farms. I hate that so much, but I didn't, I never really, you know, thought about that, the difference between, you know, some, some of these practices and how it affects, you know, the tiniest little things like that. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, who was that again? Do you I, know? Yeah. I, I looked it up. I, was that the Eric Perner episode from Rep Provisions? Um, oh, they, yeah. That's what it, Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was one, I think November, I was looking it up on the website. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. That's something I haven't really thought about either. I mean, yeah. when you're paying attention to the ecosystem, hopefully the grass and the cows are going to be great. I mean, that's the two things you really think about. Yeah. But then all the different wildlife, all the different plants that are going to be involved in the ecosystem. I mean, you pay attention to all of that, I feel like you're going to have a better quality of grass for the cows. And in turn, you're going to have better cows. You're going to have better beef. You're going to have better profit. So it's like, it's funny to, I mean, learn that perspective and just kind of see how the dominoes fall, which is really, really cool. Yeah, that's it. And as a gardener, uh, I don't want wildlife in my garden, (laughs) but, (laughs) you know, so even just saying that, I'm like, well, I don't mean the wildlife. I just mean, you know, butterflies and but really in my own garden the more i balance the ecosystem the mm-hmm. the better my vegetables are the better you know whatever it is that i'm growing is the better the chickens are if they can go out and eat bugs and better the eggs are so yeah so at a, a much larger scale you do, do understand even though i am you know i do get to mama bear sometimes over, <laughs> <laughs> over the yeah. industry I don't, I have a little garden, but I unfortunately don't have bears yet. Although I live in a neighborhood. So if we did have bears, that would be a little bit troubling. Oh yeah. That'd be terrible. That would would be kind (laughs) of, kind of crazy to see. Yeah. So why is direct to consumer and agritourism so important to you? You know, 
So I think those two um, practices, direct-to-consumer and agritourism, I think they are the easiest way that consumers can actually interact with farmers, whether that's you know, going to a farm, a pumpkin patch, or a lot of farms have UPIC operations or like little UPIC sections on the farm where you can literally go there, talk with the farmer, ask them why they grow it this way, what production methods they use, and then pick produce, usually a lot of it at a great price versus what you're going to get at the grocery store. Not that that's bad at all, but it's a great way to support your local economy, local businesses, get some produce straight from the farm. And also direct-to-consumer, I mean, I think has been huge, especially in the post-pandemic world. You can buy food from all over the world. I mean, I've interviewed some where they have, they grow quinoa. You can buy quinoa from them, from farmers that are in um, um, like poorer countries in South America or Africa. You can support them by buying those crops. You can um, buy regenerative raised chickens from California or beef from Florida, like wherever. I mean... Just the fact that you can do that is awesome. And you can actually know where your food's coming from. There's so much traceability. I mean, and again, not that I'm like shaming it in any way, shape or form, but like, you know, um, the country of origin labels with beef issue or, or the issue with country of origin labels with beef in a store, for example, you don't really know where that beef is coming from. It might be coming from Brazil or China or somewhere. And you want to buy something that's sustainable, that's regenerative. It might say it, but it might not be it. But if you want to find somewhere that sells 100% regenerative, grass-fed beef, whatever you might want to support, you can do that. It just takes a little bit of, dig- of digging online and you can find it. But I mean, you can, I like to think of it as like the online Whole Foods, like instead of just going yeah. to Whole Foods to get the food you want to buy, you want to support, you can go online and find it, which is really cool. I mean, there's just so many markets, websites, stuff that you can do. So I think those two things, direct to consumer and agritourism are kind of the easiest way that farmers can, or that consumers can actually, you know, connect with farmers. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people tend to think of, of, um, you know, direct to farmer, direct to consumer Mm. is local, right. And it doesn't have Mm. to be local. So those are really great points that you can, you can order now with, you know, how logistics is so quick and you can get things the next day that, that you're not just, it doesn't have to just be local. Right. Oh yeah. No, it doesn't have to be like, within your state or even, I mean, within your country, but you're still, even if you're going to buy like quinoa from South America, you're still shortening that supply chain. I mean, um, shortening it as much as you can, whether it's out of state or out of country is still going to greatly decrease the amount of um, emissions from transportation, from shipping, from processing. And also it's going to support that money is going to go back to the farmer more because that shorter supply chain. I mean, I, what's the average, like 10, 15 cents that the farmer gets on the dollar because of our right. basic food supply chain now, which is wild. And so if we shorten that supply chain with direct to consumer, you get a better product and then the farmer can get a bigger share of how much you're paying for it. Yeah. That brings me right to my next question too. Hey, that, perfect. Yeah. That there's an interesting thing that you said, uh, in your episode with, um, uh, produce pay yeah. that, it's not the fact that we aren't producing enough food. It seems like even though everybody seems to be very concerned with growing more food, more food, but there's other factors that are contributing to the problem, waste, supply chain, packer issues. And then the fact that the, the produce often changes hands like four times and has four places for markup before reaching the consumer. So how can we face those problems? 
Yeah, that is wild. My friend Matthew actually sent me a website article about a week ago, and it was talking about um, the waste from 100 tomatoes. Like of 100 tomatoes, how many actually get to the store? And out of 100 tomatoes, something like 57 to 72 make it. So, I mean, we're batting like not a very high percentage. And I mean, a lot of it is because of, you know, you got to pick the tomatoes early. Some of them fall off the truck. Some of them fall off the assembly line or the the processing line at the um, processor, or they don't make it at the distribution plant, or they're sitting there for a while at the grocery store before you buy them. I mean, the problem, like I said, in the episode, we're producing a lot of food, but we're wasting it, whether it's those issues or you go to a restaurant and you don't eat everything on your plate or, you know, you buy groceries, but you actually don't actually eat everything that you bought because you get busy and you go and eat out. We're all, we all do that. Like we're all guilty of it, but I feel like if we shorten the supply chain, we can hopefully decrease the waste that's there because it's not going to touch so many hands. I mean, if we do that, if you're buying produce from, I don't know, I'm here in Florida. If I buy produce from Texas, it's going to have a lot short it's going to have a lot longer shelf life in my fridge versus if i bought it from a grocery store and that produce came from mexico or brazil or canada or wherever um which again i think that stuff is always going to be around that food supply chain is always going to be around but we can definitely make it more efficient you know and that episode with produce pay was really cool because they're coming up with like all these algorithms and stuff where um if produce is going to go bad in a day or two it goes on sale. Like there's a little bit of a discount, which encourages people to buy it and hopefully use it that day or the day after. And so just technology like that, shortening Mm -hmm. the food supply chain, I think will be huge because I mean, even here in the United States, there's so many people that are um, malnutritious, nutrition or whatever, but uh, malnourished, there we go. There we go, yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, I think if we can do that, do a better job of, you know, wasting less resources, we can fix this because we're producing enough food the issue yeah. is getting it to everybody on time and all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. And something I've really felt a burden for, especially in the last few years, but beyond that as well, is the fact that the majority of people in North America can't feed themselves. And yeah. they're so far removed from the origin of their food that they're very susceptible to marketing misinformation about their food because it's really the packers and you know, General Mills and those companies that that dictate that message from the farm to the table. And mm-hmm. nobody, they don't ask what the farmer thinks usually about that. So uh, this is why I really appreciate your show as you're devoting, you know, uh, this platform to opening up this discussion with consumers. So what steps can we all take to start opening a, up a conversation with consumers? Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, I think if you're a producer, there's a lot of ways you can go about it. Social media is huge. Like I know a lot of people give social media a bad rap, but it's so easy to make a Facebook page, make an Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever, to show what you do, to build an audience, to show people what you do at the farm, why you do it, share your story. And then also, if it's up to you, if you have the capability, really, no matter what you farm, what you ranch, like do research on maybe doing the direct-to-consumer model, maybe starting out small and doing farmer's markets. Like that's huge. I mean, there's even a couple where they have like little co-ops where, you know, there's like five or six micro dairies and they only sell to a certain amount of people in a community. I mean, you don't have to go 100% direct-to-consumer or 100% at a farmer's market or 100% contract grower where you just sell to supermarkets or restaurants. Like there's a lot of different ways you can do it 
I mean, by building those relationships with your consumers, whether they're in your community, in your state, or in just your country alone, um, you build those relationships, you can build repeat customers time and time again. And if they just try your product, they're probably going to talk to their friends and family about it. If they love it, they're definitely going to tell your friends and family about it and probably buy again. I mean, just kind of getting the word out there, being yourself. I mean, really, one thing I like to do is like, just kind of see them share their passion, like whatever it is, ranching, um, you pick operations, whatever it is, building websites to help farmers, like just sharing that passion is awesome. Like people want to support people sharing their passions. That's somebody told me whenever I got into podcasting, I was like, oh, that's really good. And so I think just, you know, get the word out there. Like, don't be afraid to share your story, share your products. Um, and just kind of know that really anything you do, any way you try to connect with consumers is going to be huge and it's going to pay dividends down the road. Yeah. Great advice. And as we all know, the last few years have been a roller coaster. We mm-hmm. talked about that a little bit before the pandemic, supply chain, cost of fuel and inputs and weather. Um, what do you think the producer has learned as they adapted through all of this? Oh, man. I think the producer has learned to not be afraid to pivot. I haven't interviewed them, but I really, really need to. They're down in South Florida. Um, there was a farmer, like right during the pandemic, he was selling squash and zucchini to restaurants and to grocery stores. Well, everybody wasn't going on vacations. Nobody was going to restaurants. Nobody was going shopping. And so he had all this produce. And so what he did was he put out a Facebook, um, either a Facebook page or just a Facebook post. But um, he was like, hey, we're selling boxes. This is the price. This is the location. This is the day. Come and buy some produce. It'll Mm -hmm. be a lot cheaper for you and you can get a lot. And he had like a two mile long line of cars out there and they were getting like just huge crates filled with produce. I mean, that's cheaper than what they would have gotten at the grocery store for like the volume of it. And I mean, that was huge. And there's so many other stories of people that started going to farmer's markets. They started selling online or maybe they started doing produce boxes where it was like a sign up thing online. They had a hundred boxes and then they delivered on Saturdays or something. And so just not being afraid to pivot a little bit. I mean, still doing the traditional, like I'm sure that farmer went back to selling to restaurants and grocery stores and stuff like that. But now they probably have like a UPIC operation on site. And so just trying to figure out, you know, what's going to work, what's going to be the easiest thing to transition to, and also go where our consumers are. If they're staying home, let's figure out how to get our produce to their home. If they're going to farmer's markets more, let's figure out how to get there. If they want to shop online, if they want to, you know, buy our produce on Facebook or something. Let's figure out a way to do that. And so there's a lot that you can do. And I mean, really reach out to farmers that are doing what you want to do. Like ask them what worked, what didn't, because honestly, I don't know a more collaborative industry than ag and farming and ranching. I mean, nine times out of 10, if you reach out to a farmer, like, Hey, what you did this, I want to do it. How did you get it to work? Like they'll share with you what worked, what didn't. Um, So yeah, don't be afraid of trying it. Don't be afraid of asking and reaching out. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Those are awesome points. So what are a few of your favorite or most memorable interviews that you've done over the last few years? Oh, man. Well, you know, everybody asks us this as podcasters. We're not supposed (laughs) to say we have a favorite, but of course, we all have favorites. Um, (laughs) One of them, I would have to say, was Jack Maxwell from The Booze Traveler. I had him on the show a couple years ago. Had him on. It was super cool. Talked to him about the show, about Travel Channel. 
And he also had a new show, um, which I think was on YouTube, talking about hemp in the industry. And so that was really neat. Um, that was fun. One of the earlier episodes I had, and I always talk about it, was with a dairy in the UK called Vine Farm Dairy. And they have a milk vending machine on premises. So instead of bottling or instead of collecting it and shipping it off to get bottled and going to grocery stores, they process it on site and then they bottle it and people can bring bottles, go up to the vending machine and get milk. Like it's so huge. Like it's so cool for the local community. It's great for tourism. And apparently that's like a very popular thing in the UK because there's a couple of others um, that have like trailers that go around the country to different farmers markets and stuff like that. So that was really fun. Um, I did another one. I'm looking through them right now. I love learning about hydroponics. Like I'm a not an expert in any way, shape or form, but I have like a little hydroponic little system that I grow like basil and stuff. So I love learning about, you know, different hydroponic companies like Local Bounty or um, what are some other ones? Eden Greens, just how they're all doing things just a little bit differently with hydroponics and that really that really booming industry. So those are fun. I mean, I could probably name, I don't know, like four or five more, but there's a lot of really, really cool episodes. So it's been fun. It's been a a really fun time so far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, I can feel your excitement because I, (laughs) I feel the same way. It's just so cool. The people we get to talk to, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you ever get done with an interview and you're like, man, that was a good interview. That's going to go like really popular. I love that feeling after an interview. It's so fun. And then you wish you could just go for a beer or something with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Done. It's like, and then it's like, like, a virtual beer? like this and is it's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. You have like this really cool conversation, this really cool talk. And then it's over. It's done. Yeah. You're like, yeah. You but then you're like, I get to share this. This is so cool. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. I always talk to my wife after like, oh my God, I just had the best interview with so-and-so. She's like, okay, cool. I'm like, you'll get to listen very soon. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it always fills my tank, right? Like my social tank yeah. after. And I'm like, this is amazing. I, you know, I love people so much. <laughs> so I love people. So I got, fun. I, yeah. I got to talk with this person on the internet. We talked about everything. It was so fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I have one last question for you. Why do you serve the egg industry in particular? And what's your greatest passion in all of it? Oh man. I, my biggest passion, I love learning about everything out there. I love learning all the different tools, all the different technologies and really, I just want to be a guide. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't consider myself at all like an influencer. I'm not trying to, you know, change the industry because farmers and ranchers are doing all the hard work. I just want to like be a guide. Like if you're a farmer or a consumer and you want to learn how some farms work, like I don't know all the answers, but let me like come along with me as we try to learn all the answers from all the experts. Like that's, I, I saw this from somebody online. I don't remember who it was, but they were like, be a guide, not an expert. Like people, your listeners, your subscribers, they don't expect you to have all the answers, but they want you to find all the answers by interviewing the right people. And so I just re- really want to be like a tour guide online. Like, hey, we're going to interview some farmers and ranchers. We're going to tour them um, on videos and stuff like that. So just follow along and let's see how we go. If you like these farmers, support them. If you don't, hang on to the next episode, maybe support them. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, and and that goes really well with the farm traveler. And you're yeah, right. I love that. That's so great. It's perfect. It's like we planned it that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So where can people find you? Um, anywhere they get their podcast, just look up farm traveler. We have a website, thefarmtraveler.com, where we have articles um for all of our podcast guests and stuff like that. Also, we're super active on YouTube. We are getting dangerously close to, I think it's a, a thousand subscribers, which will be fun. Just look up farm traveler. Literally farm traveler anywhere social media instagram facebook 
um, Twitter, not really TikTok anymore, but mainly I'd say Instagram and YouTube and our website are our bread and butter. So just look up, look up Farm Traveler wherever you might be. And of course, the podcast. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Trevor, for joining me today. What a what an awesome conversation. This will be one of those ones will be like, oh, it's over. <laughs> it's over. Great. It was good. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Chrissy. I really appreciate it. And I will have to have you on the Farm Traveler podcast soon to talk about all the things you've done, all the awesome farmers that you've interviewed too. Yeah, that would be awesome. And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, the links are provided in the show notes. And you can also find the Farm Traveler as well um, on our Best of Egg podcast library at NorthAmericanEgg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, Eggfuse. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts and have a great day. Our newest podcast by North American Egg is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the egg brands you love and the egg brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com, available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach, and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m., to register for this webinar, go to NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar. That's NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar to register now.